0: Welcome to the Qalam Institute podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussain Kamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H-intensive.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamuna ala ibadihi al-lazhin ashtafa. ala Sayyidi wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latkiya amma ba'd. Over the past, past few classes, we've been talking about the life of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. Last week, we studied in some detail the life of his son, his older son, Sayyidina Ismail salam. And today, inshallah, we will spend some time discussing the life of his second son, who was also a prophet of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, Sayyidina Ishaq alayhi salam. Ishaq Alayhi Salam was born through Ibrahim salam's first wife. However, he was the second child. His first wife's name was Sarah. His second wife's name was Hajar. Hajr, by the will of Allah, gave birth first, even though he married her second. And Sarah gave birth second, even though she is his first wife. The period between the two births, between the birth of Ismail Salam and his second son, Ishaq Salam, according to majority, majority of the historians, is 14 years. There was a 14 years gap between the two, which makes Ismail Salam 14 years older. How old was Ibrahim Salam when Ishaq Salam was born? There are two opinions on the issue. The first opinion um, is that he was 100 years old. And the second opinion is that he was 120 years old. How old was Ishaq's uh, how how Ishaq, mother, Sarah, at the time? Uh, again, two opinions on the issue. One opinion is that she was 90 years old when she gave birth to her first and only child, Ishaq. And according to another opinion, she was 70 years old. Ishaq alayhi salam's mention comes in the Qur'an multiple times. He is mentioned around 17 times in the Qur'an. Most of the times he is mentioned along with other prophets. So you'll find a mention of multiple prophets and his name will also come there. Allah subhanahu wa Taala will mention Ibrahim alayhi salam, Ishaq alayhi salam, Yaqub alayhi salam. The three of them are mentioned together on more, on more than one occasion in the Qur'an. What does the word Ishaq mean? So there are two opinions on the issue. The first opinion is that Ishaq actually comes from the A'barani word Yashak, which in Arabic could be translated into yadhak, And yadhak means to smile, it means to laugh. Now someone would question that why is his name based off of laughing? Well the reason is because, as we'll read up ahead very soon, that when his mother was informed of her being pregnant with a child, she also, she smiled and she laughed. And to remember that gesture of hers when she was informed of her child, he was also named Ishaq. Another group of scholars, they say that Ishaq, similar to Ismail, is actually a composer of two words. When we were talking about the word Ismail, we said that the word Ismail is composed of two words, Isma' and Il. Isma' means to hear, and Il means Allah. So the second opinion is that Ishaq is actually, Is is a short form of Isma' once again, which means to hear, and Haq means Haq which is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the truthful, the reality. So that's where another group of scholars say his name is derived from. Now in Surah Hud, verse number 70 onwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shares with us the story of the birth of Ishaq alayhi salam. Now Ishaq alayhi salam's story of his birth is mentioned on multiple occasions in the Qur'an. And the reason why it's mentioned, actually it comes in conjunction with another story. His birth story comes in conjunction with another story. And it also gives us a timeline of when he was born. It comes in conjunction with the story of the destruction of Lut alayhi salam's people. So if we actually follow the timeline, we have passed Lut Ali salam's life almost. But because it was connected to Ibrahim alayhi salam, we covered Ismail and Ishaq with it. Once we finish Ishaq alayhi salam, we're going to go a little back in time, a few years, and cover the story of Lut alayhi salam. And how we know this is because the angels that gave glad tidings of the birth of Ishaq were actually passing by, going to destroy the nation of Lut. So they were going to destroy the people of Lut. Before they went there, they stopped over with Ibrahim and they spoke to Ibrahim. And this is mentioned in Surah Dariyat, also as I mentioned in Surah Hud, and also in other places of the Qur'an. So we'll go over the verses of Surah Hud and discuss them, because mashallah, there are some very beautiful gems within these verses that are uh, noteworthy. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says وَلَقَدْ جَاءَتُ رُسُلُنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ بِالْبُشْرَىٰ قَالُوا سَلَامًا قَالَ سَلَامٌ فَمَا لَبِثَ أَنْ بِعِجْلٍ Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says and when the and indeed and most definitely the messengers of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala came to Ibrahim with a glad tidings and they said assalamu alaykum they said to him salama the actual words are not assalamu alaykum what does the Quran say? Qal-u. Salama. they said Salama to him. So Allah says that our messengers came to Ibrahim Now who were these messengers? So these were actually angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who came in the form of human beings. And how we know they came in the form of the human being is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another verse that Ibrahim actually had no idea that they were angels. When Ibrahim saw them, he did not know that they were angels, he thought they were human beings. قَالَ السَّلَامُ قَوْمٌ Munkarun, As he said, that you are unknown people to me, I don't know who you are. But nonetheless, Ibrahim salam still fulfilled his duty to them, which I'll come to in a moment. Now which angels came? The scholars differ in opinion over the issue. A group of them say that the three, of them, three angels came, and their names were Jibreel a.s., Mikail a.s., and Israfil Another group of scholars, they say that they were actually not three angels, rather they were nine angels that came, as stated by the Haq. And Suddhi says that there were actually eleven angels that came. And they came in the form of beautiful young men. They were these beautiful young men, and they were very, uh, their their features were so on point that when Ibrahim, alayhi salam, saw them, he was kind of all cut off guard by their beauty. Now, when they came to Ibrahim, alayhi salam, what's the first thing they said to Ibrahim, alayhi salam? They said to him, qalu salama. They came with glad tidings, but they don't, they don't start the conversation with glad tidings. They start off the conversation with, "Assalamu alaykum. And actually, as I mentioned a moment ago, they didn't say, "Assalamu alaykum. They said to him, Salama. They only said one word, salam. So this brings up the issue that can a person say salam to a person and that's it? End it there. You know, sometimes in texts, someone will send to you, and all they'll write is, S A L. A.M. That's it. Salam. Is that permitted or not? Well, we learn from the verse of the Quran here that, that that is actually permitted, because that's exactly what the angels said to Ibrahim aleyhissalam. They said Qalu Salama. They said Salama to him, and Ibrahim aleyhissalam's response to them was also what? He said the exact same thing. He said Salamun. <coughs> he, they said Salam to him. He said Salam to them. Now, linguistically. Obviously, you have to assume in order for the sentence to be complete that there is much more to the sentence. You can't just say salam because that's not meaningful. There is, as in Arabic, we would say, mahdoob ibara. There is a hidden text there. So, salama, what would that mean? Nusallimu alaykum salama. That we are sending upon you peace. And Ibrahim alayhi salam's response, salam bihalat al rafa' would mean assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be with you. So, these are two different. Um, uh, Forms of the Arabic language, one is in Nasab, the other is in Rafah. And what that actually means is, um, Nasab means that there is a fatha. there's a, there's a Zabar if you wish to say in Persian, Salama. You see how there's a fatha there? And Rafah means, because Ibrahim alayhi salam said, Qala Salamun. So this no longer is there a fatha here, what is there now? There's a Dhamma there, and uh, there's a difference between the two. What's the difference? Ibn Kathir, rahmatullahi alayhi says, we know that the Quran tells us that when someone greets you with Assalamu Alaikum, what's your responsibility? You say to them that which is equal or better. <laughs> when someone gives salam to you, either you give them something equal or better. Now the angel said to him, Salam. Ibrahim also said, Salam. Was he equal or did he do better? The scholars differ in opinion. Some scholars they say that he actually did equal because they said salam to him, and what was his response in return? Salam in return. Ibn Kathir, rahmatullahi says no, he didn't do equal. He did better. How is that? He says the reason is because linguistically, halatul rafa akwa min halatun nusub. That the state of rafa, you know, I was talking about the dhamma, is a more stronger, it's a more firmer state used in the Arabic language. Linguistically, it's a stronger form of a statement than halatun nusub okay? And why is that? That's a whole linguistic discussion, because generally in a jumla fi'liya the musnad, the which is the fa'il, is rafa. anyway. So for those of you who have interest, can go and look into it and study that. So he's, say, he's basically highlighting this ling- linguistic gem and saying that even in the usage of the words, they said salama, which is a weaker form of salam, and he said salamun, which is a stronger form of salam. Now Ibrahim when he saw these people, he thought that they were they were guests. Okay. And he had no idea that these people were angels. So as a person, even though he didn't know them, he still fulfills the responsibility of seeing someone who comes to his door, which is to provide a meal. Okay, this is very profound. Does Ibrahim a.s. know that these are angels standing at his door? Absolutely no idea at all. Which teaches us the true essence of actually being a good host. You don't just host someone who you don't know, who you know, sorry. Most of us would only host someone who we know. Someone who we have no idea, someone who we don't know, we would never host that person. When is the last time we've called someone that we've stood next to at Salah time and we have no idea who they are and said, come to my house for a meal today. Just the thought of that seems very awkward and weird because socially, we are, our kindness is restricted to people who are known to us. And sometimes the hidden agenda behind it also is that if I'm kind to this person and return one day, They'll be kind to me too. If I take them out for a donut today, tomorrow they might, meet, they might invite me for biryani. So I might get a muda'afa. I might get many more folds in return. So it's kind of like a trade-off many a times, you know. Um, even culturally, when people get married, when, they're, when they have their big events, um, whatever gift is given, it's registered down afterwards. You know, the day after marriage, you sit down and go through all the gifts and you write down the name and how much they gave. And the reason is because in their marriages, now you have to give. The equal or better, either you, if they give you hundred, you give them hundred, or if you're super generous, you give a hundred and... 101, right? So it's kind of like a trade-off if you think about it. Where is the sincerity gone that you're doing something solely for the sake of Allah? And this is what makes Ibrahim alayhi salam the Khalil of Allah. He's doing his action for the sake of Allah, not for people. So if the person is known, unknown, a friend or a foe, he's going to continue doing what he's doing, and that is being generous. So what does Ibrahim alayhi salam do? He sees these people, a young man standing in front of him, he knows that these young people, they need to be fed. Now, what kind of food does Ibrahim a.s. give them? Does he pull out a bag of chips and put it in front of them? Or does he just make a cup of chai and put it there? You know, many a times when you walk inside the home, the person will say, chai to nahi lenge. Rather than saying, would you like tea? They'll say, are you sure you don't want any tea? You won't take any tea, will you? Kind of like the, the, the negation is actually included, implied within the sentence so that you say no. Ibrahim a.s. doesn't ask any questions. He says, guys, wait right here, I'll be back in a jiffy. He goes in the back and Ibrahim prepares a meal. Now, like I was saying, not a small meal. He comes back, as the Quran says, right? He comes back with a calf. A baby cow, if you wish, a small calf. And it's full protein, prime meat. Um, What do they call it? Creekstone, right? Better beef. This is prime meat he brings to them. And you can imagine how organic it must have been, how meaningful that animal must have been, because it was grown by who? I mean, it was under the ownership of Ibrahim salam. You can imagine the barakah in there. So Ibrahim salam, he slaughters the animal, and not only does he bring the animal, but not only does he slaughter the animal, but he roasts it, the barbecue guy. Ibrahim a.s. had his hand on the barbecue as well. So he, he roasts the animal, he brings it to them. Now when they see it, they realize, obviously, that he realizes that these people have no interest, because they didn't... A bunch of young people, 11 young guys sitting in front of you, and you put some ribs in front of them, what's going to (laughs) happen? A lot of damage, right? To the plate and the ribs. But none of those guys are moving forward, they're all standing there. Before I move forward on that, there are a few discussions we have to have. The first discussion, why did Ibrahim give the ijl and not the baqarah? ijl means a calf. Why did he present a calf and not a full cow? The scholars, they engage in this discussion. Well, the reason why they say is because Ibrahim alayhi salam, generally he would have a calf ready to, prov- to provide for him and the small family that he had with him. And the cow is not for a small dinner, it's actually for a very big event. Therefore, Ibrahim alayhi salam presented what was available to him. He presented Mahava, which teaches us as one of the etiquettes of hosting, that there's no need for every event, every gathering, every party to be lavish. There's nothing wrong with having a simple dinner. There was one friend of mine, he said to me that I'm having my walima, I would like for you to attend. So in a joke, I said to him, what's for food? Depending on what's on the menu, I'll come. I was joking, but I said it to him. He said to me, Shaykh, we will be serving dal chawal. And I was really impressed by that. Like, you know, lentil curry and some rice. Now, the reason why I was quite impressed is because in most cultures, if someone said to you, at their wedding, they're going to serve dal chawal, what does that mean? That means you will be trolled for the, long, for the rest of your marriage. People will laugh at you and joke at you. Look at this faqir insan. He, he gave people dal chawal, right? At his, at his, at his walima. One of the weddings of the Prophet, after he got married, the companions gathered and they said, o Messenger of Allah, what's for the walima? What did they ask the Prophet, what's for? Walima. The Prophet didn't have anything. So what he did was, he said to the companions, potluck. <laughs> what did the Prophet say? This is a hadith, Sahih hadith. The Prophet said, potluck What that means is everybody go home, whatever you have, bring something. And everyone went home and brought a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. You can imagine like all the different things they had, the rich menu they must have had at the end of it, and when everyone came, they basically shared each other's food and that's it, dinner was over, and that was the walima of the Prophet. I mean look how simple and these people were and how they weren't extravagant. And I hope our community really understands this. So much money is wasted in extravagant dinners. We've put a bar upon ourselves on what it means to host people, and that bar is so hard for us to meet as individuals that we've stopped hosting. Because we're afraid that if I want to invite five people, it has to be a seven-course meal, which means that's going to cost me a good $100, $150, and I can't afford that right now, as opposed to, hey, my wife made some food, whatever we have, three of us can eat. If it goes short, that's no problem, and if it's enough, Alhamdulillah, no problem there. Ibrahim alayhi salam presents ما what's present there. Okay. The second thing the scholars, they say, Imam Qurtubi, rahmatullahi alayhi says, لِأَنَّ الْبَقَرَ كَانَتْ أَكْثَرَ أَمْوَالِهِ That Ibrahim salam had many cows and had very few calves. Therefore, he wanted to present what he had rare in. What he had little in, that's why. Another group of scholars, they say that he didn't have the wealth to purchase a cow. So therefore, once again, like I said earlier, he went with the more economical choice. Now, Ibn, um, Imam Qurtu b.a. he brings a fa'idah, he teaches us a lesson. He says, many a times when a guest comes over, you present whatever is ready, and then you go and bring the second part of the meal. Kind of like the idea of courses. So when someone walks inside your house, rather than keeping them sitting and waiting for maybe one hour until the food's ready, because the grill just got turned on, maybe it's good you go bring them something, go bring them something small, maybe like whatever little you have, being some samosa or something, to get their appetite wet, keep them going, and then with time you continue to bring food. (laughs) ثُمَّ يُتْبِعُهُ بِغَيْرِهِ إِنْ كَانَ لَهُ جِدَةٌ until as time goes on, you continue to bring for them. That's the um, the, fa'idah he brings for us. Now, the next discussion is, What's the ruling on hosting a guest? What's the fiqhi ruling on hosting a guest? So majority of the scholars, they say Laysat bi wajibah, in the al According to majority of the scholars, it is not mandatory. It's not wajib, something that's, as you would say, obligatory. It's not obligatory or mandatory to host a guest. And they base it off a few narrations. One of the narrations they base it off is the hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, which can be found in the authentic collections of hadith. The Prophet says, Whoever believes in Allah on the day of judgment should honor his guest, and whoever believes in Allah on the day of judgment should also honor his neighbor. So what the scholars will tell you that it's important, it's necessary to honor your guest, but no scholar will say, sorry. Um, the scholars say that um, we all agree that it's encourage it's something that's good to honor your neighbor, to take care of your neighbor, provide a food for them. But will anyone tell you it's wajib to do ikram of your jar? They don't say it's wajib. They'll say it's a good thing. Taking care of your neighbor is a good thing. They don't say it's mandatory. So if that isn't mandatory, then neither will this be because they're both in the same hadith with the same word, usage of words. Therefore, they extend the ruling of one onto the other. That's one thing. And then the other group of them, they also share another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, in this regard. Imam Al-Layth says that it is wajib. He says it's actually mandatory. And he quotes the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, لَيْلَةُ الضَيْفِي that one night for the guest, the night for the guest, or the night of the guest, is haq, it's that person's right, that's what needs to be given to this individual. And then Ibn al-Arabi says that, qala um, كَانَ فِي صَدِرِ الْإِسْلَامِ ثُمَّ He says that there were some scholars who held the opinion that originally it was mandatory to host the guest, but then that ruling was abrogated. This third opinion is quite weak because you can't prove the abrogation, and it's very hard to just prove the whole, um, the whole principle that's being stated itself. Now, what, what does it mean to host someone? What does it mean? If I come to your house, what does it mean to host me? So the scholars, they say, that the bare minimum of hosting someone is to provide a meal for them. Provide for them something to eat or drink if they are in need of it. And if they are also in need, provide for them a place to stay. The ideal amount of time, how much you should be able to host someone in your house, is for three days and three nights. Then after three days and three nights, you are no longer responsible of hosting them at all. So someone can stay at your house for three days and three nights, and after that, move on. And this is a good lesson also for the guest. That's the command for the host, but that's also a huge lesson for the guest. If you're traveling from America to Bangladesh to visit your family, or if you're traveling from America to go visit your family in India and Pakistan, how long should you stay at their house? Go ahead, people. Yeah, As long as you like, three months. I send them my zakat anyway, what are they going to do? No, three days and three nights, that's it. How long is the hadith telling us? The Prophet is telling the host that your responsibility is to host them for three days and three nights. And as someone visiting, you shouldn't put in your mind that I'm going to stay here for a month or two months, unless they invite you, that's another thing. If they tell you, I would like for you to stay for more than three days, I would like for you to stay 15 days, the wedding is on, on April 15th, but I would like for you to come here April 1st. So we can invite you over and then play a huge April Fool plank, prank on you and kick you back home, right? I mean, the point being is that if they invite you, that's one thing. But you shouldn't, you shouldn't impose it on them. And, you know, after the third day, pack up your bags and move on. Go to the quality and down the street, okay? But don't impose yourself on other people. That's from the guest side, from the host side as well. Be there to provide. There's one narration where the Prophet ﷺ teaches us that it is the zakat of the home that you should, you should have a room to host a guest in. Um, obviously many of us are not in the financial position to do that. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one day does give you the wealth to buy a home, and you're looking to invest big, and you want to settle down for life, and you have that wealth, then a part of your um, layout or the plan for the home, build in a bedroom too. And that should be for the guest. When you have a bedroom, a bathroom private for the guest, that's only for them, it becomes that much more easier to host people for three days. It's become that much more easier. But if you don't have everything for them, and every time someone comes to visit you, and especially if they're going to spend the night, you have to you know, juggle your whole house around them, you can imagine that would be more difficult. So if a person can do that, وَلِلَّهِ alhamdulillah, <laughs> That would also be a good thing. Um, what are the etiquettes of hosting uh, a guest? That's a whole subject in itself. I won't go down that. You can read about it in, in, in the books of Adab and Akhlaq. Now in the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Now when Ibrahim salam noticed that these people were not eating the beef that he put in front of them, the meat he put, he became worried. The reason why he became worried is because if they weren't here to have a meal with him, then that means something's not right, something's off. And he became worried. They said to Ibrahim a.s., Do not fear. We have been sent to the people of Lut salam. We're going to Lut So you see this, the, this fear that maybe you're, pre, you're, you're, you're feeling in our presence, because these people are going to, to, to punish a nation. You can imagine the ru'ab and the, and the awe that, that they must be carrying at that time. This what you're experiencing isn't for you actually. It's kind of like a person who's very angry and you see him. And he says, you see this anger right here? It's not for you. It's the guy next to you. Move out of my way. Thump. So that's what they said to Ibrahim alayhi salam. That you're feared, don't need to be afraid. Because you see this right here, this isn't for you. This is actually for Lut alayhi salam's people. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, "Wamraatuhu qa'imatun." When the statement was made that don't be afraid, we are not here for you, we're for Lut alayhi salam's people. The Qur'an says, "Wamraatuhu." And the lady, or in here in this situation, we know it's talking about Ibrahim alayhi salam's wife. Ibrahim alayhi salam's wife was actually standing there. And who is this wife? It's Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Ibrahim alayhi salam, is standing there. So now she is standing there. Now, this is an important point to, to, to note. Imam Qurtubi rahmatullahi alayhi, under the tafsir of this ayah, he says, that she was standing in a place where the angels can see her. Okay? Now does she know that they are angels? No. Yes or no? To her knowledge, these are just men that are visiting, but she still stands in a place where they can see her. Um, and then in one according to one opinion, they say, Kanat مِنْ وَرَاءِ السطر, that she was standing there, but she was standing behind a curtain. And how he knew, or how they knew that she was standing there was because if she's standing behind the curtain, what could you see in the curtain? Like a silhouette, you could see that someone is standing there, so they knew someone is standing there. Um, why was she standing there? So the, uh, the scholars of, the, of Tafsir, they say, كانت That she was serving the angels, she was serving the guests and serving Ibrahim alayhi salam. Because Ibrahim al-Sanam was actually sitting down and entertaining them. So he was sitting with the angels, entertaining them, while she was bringing stuff, taking it, moving it, back and forth. Muhammad ibn Ishaq says that she was standing, qaimatun تُصَلِّ That she was standing there in prayer actually at that time. Because they began to fear something, something was a little off, they noticed that these people, there was something different about them. So behind, on the other side of the room, she started her qaimatun tusali, She started praying. Now, if we go back to the opinion that she was standing there serving them, and in in particular standing in a place where um, the angels can see her, the question comes that is it permissible for a lady to host the guest visiting the home herself in the presence of her husband. You guys understand the scenario? So let's say for example, I have some friends that come to visit me. My wife is also there. Can she come and provide food on the table, take it and leave it, be around in that gathering, vicinity serving, yes or no? Is that permitted or not? So based off this ayah, they engage, the, the, now the, the bahath starts. So the narration of Imam Muslim, which is from Sahil bin Sa'ad, he says that, Da'a Abu, um, wasallam, that Abu, Abu Usaid as saidi invited the Prophet wasallam, to his home. When the Prophet came, while they were together, he says, فَكَانَتْ إِمْرَأَتُهُ خَادِمُهُمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ While the Prophet came over and was enjoying that time or the meal or conversation, his wife was the one that was serving them. His wife was the one that was serving the Prophet وسلم, and also her husband. َقَالَ سَهْلٌ أَتَدْرُونَ مَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم. سهل, The narrator of the hadith says, Do you know what she presented to the Prophet as a drink? Do you know what kind of drink she gave the Prophet Sallallahu And um, he said, "No, I don't know. What narration What did he? What did, what did she give him?" And, and and the narrator said that she had um, put some dates in water earlier on, and that, create, that created a nabid. Anyone know what a nabid is? Where it's something the Prophet Sallallahu used to enjoy as a drink. They would put dates in water and let it just sit there, and the sweetness from the water would then. Uh, kind of uh, transition into the water, the, the sweetness of the date, sorry, would transition into the into the water, and it would create like a sweet drink. It wouldn't ferment. That's a big thing to remember. If it ferments, then no longer is it permitted to drink, because now, now it, it could potentially intoxicate. Nabi is a, is a drink that is made prior to the drink fermenting. So she basically made that drink for the Prophet ﷺ, and she presented it to the Prophet ﷺ. And the scholars obviously they say that فِيهِ جَوَازٌ خِدْمَةُ الْعُرُوسِ زَوْجَهَا وَأَصْحَابَهُ فِي عُرْسِهَا فِيهِ لِأَنَّهُ لَا بَأْسَ أَنْ يَعْرَضَ الرَّجُلُ أَهْلَهُ عَلَى إِخْوَانِهِ I think that's the key point there, the last part. They say that the whole um, context of a wife serving the husband and other guests that are visiting there is based off the fact that these are good, sound individuals. If the person visiting your house is someone who is um, not appropriate, someone who is just you know, off off limits and someone you don't feel comfortable around, then obviously you shouldn't have your wife coming and sitting in that gathering, because that's just not comfortable, right? But if the people sitting there are righteous, pious people, they understand limits and boundaries, they have decency inside them, the wife is dressed decently and she has decency in her, the husband is also present there, there's no need to create artificial boundaries, you know, boundaries that are unprecedented, boundaries that can't even be found in the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam, because we have sometimes created such artificial um, segregation in our communities that is, no, that is not healthy. You know. Um, for example, you go to the Prophet wasallam's time, the markets were shared. There was a market that the men and women both went to. Okay? And there wasn't a concept of that these are hours for men only to buy and these are hours for women only to buy because that's unhealthy segregation. There is a healthy segregation, like for example, we learn in Salah, the Prophet teaches us that in Sufuf, men are on one side, women are in the other side. So we're not saying hold hands and walk side by side, but there is an idea of unhealthy and unprecedented segregation. And you can also find a sense of that in this ayah here, according to the tafsir, as I shared with you, Imam Qurti b.a.w. covers in great detail, whoever wishes, they can do their muraja'ah and go and check it there. But at the same time, I also, want to, I also uh, feel inappropriate to share, Imam Qurtubi, after sharing all of this discussion, he says at the end, qabla nuzul qabla nuzul hijab." He said, it's very possible, Imam Qurtubi says, it's very possible that everything here, all the hadith that was quoted in this verse and its interpretation, could all be prior to the ruling of hijab revealing okay so therefore if you take that perspective then the whole the whole discussion and, and the way it would be constructed changes wallahu ta'ala alam. allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best